This is a HeadGum Podcast. Welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin. On the Skype and phone today is typographer, typeface designer, typographic consultant, and general font dork, Nick Sherman. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Nick, how do you describe what you do to like a family member you haven't seen in a while? Like, What is it? How, how do you describe it? Most of my family members, I think by now, have a general understanding, but maybe what you're looking more for is how I describe it to someone I sit next to on an airplane. Yeah, sure. Maybe. That'll work. Um, you're closer with your family than me. That's fine. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, normally, what I would just say is that I make fonts, and then I hope that most people have some general understanding of what fonts are. I feel like if you had just said that, maybe... 15 years ago even, it might not be quite as clear to as many people, but these days most people have used Microsoft Word or something like that and understand what it means to go to a font menu and choose fonts. Um, usually there's a lot of follow-up questions after that, but that's kind of the, the starter. That's what we're going to do today. We can pretend we're on the airplane. Because I think you're right, like everyone knows what a font is and has selected a font at this point, but... Uh, I think most people don't know or at least don't spend a lot of time thinking about like where fonts come from and who designs them and like why we have the fonts we have to choose from, like why those 30 or whatever, the 30 built-in fonts. So I guess I'm curious, like how did you come uh, to become a, a font person? Is it like a, a school of design? Um, well, I guess it depends how far back you want to go into my interest in it all. Yeah, I want to um, hear about like when you first got interested in fonts. The first time I became aware of what fonts were, um, and actually the thing that generally led me into kind of a career in graphic design um, is when I was in middle school, I was in a bunch of punk rock bands um, and into high school also. And so naturally I wanted to be able to make things like flyers for the concerts we were playing or covers for the uh, music that we were releasing or t-shirts or buttons or patches or whatever else. Um, and so that's where I got interested in just kind of making things almost out of necessity. Right. Um, it's so funny, and, like how like doing, like putting together like some DIY punk show, like there's all these skills that you learn from it that like actually uh, end definitely. up becoming a career or whatever. Is there anything else you learned like doing shows like that? Um, well, just like general marketing, I guess. I mean, at the time I would not have thought of it as marketing, but like promoting anything. And especially, um, when the web was just it, around, around the time when I was getting into all this stuff, it was around the same time that the web was becoming kind of a thing that people knew about. So this is also how, uh, I taught myself a lot of things just about technology. Um, so I, I make, typefaces as part of my career but uh probably the other half of that is that i make websites as well and that's something that i taught myself because i had these bands and i wanted to like you know connect with other people that were interested in the same kind of music um so i started making websites when i was very young and that was something that i probably wouldn't have gotten into as early if it wasn't for you know music and you know diy punk rock 
production stuff. Did you ever reach a point where you were like more into designing the posters and the album covers than you were into the music? Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, the fact that I'm now working as a graphic designer and not as a, you know, music promoter or something like that, I guess attests to that idea. Um, and of course, when you're in a, a band in middle school and high school, half of the fun of having a band is just like having a kind of, um, I don't know, I would say brand for lack of a better word, but something to like make, it's an excuse to make stuff basically. Um, so the high school I went to actually was a, um, vocational high school and I was in the graphic arts department. So we were learning how to run printing presses and we had a dark room where we were doing photo developing and things like that. Can you explain uh, what a vocational high school is? Cause sure. I don't know if everyone knows and I don't <laughs> know if everyone knows cause I actually don't know. What is a vocational sure. high school and like how do you end up in one? Uh, well, my story is actually a, probably a pretty good example of how to describe it. So the first year I went to high school, I just went to a normal public high school. Um, and it was a relatively large school. There were a lot of kids there. So it was, there wasn't a lot of like, um, should I say one-on-one teacher student time. Each teacher had a whole lot of students that they had to deal with. So it was kind of like, a just cranking through students. And I really did not enjoy that, um, that school being at that school. I didn't do well at that school. Um, but because I was in these bands and I knew I wanted to make flyers and stuff, I had taken a graphic design class at that school. Um, and I really enjoyed doing that in like a more formal way than I had been doing it. Like before that, I just knew how to run photocopiers and things like that. Um, but you know, learning design software and uh, more advanced ideas of how design theory works was great. Um, but I really didn't like the school. So the second year of high school, um, it was suggested to me that maybe I should check out this thing, which is a vocational technical high school. And it's basically, um, a lot of times it gets a bad rap as like the school where people go when they don't want to go to real school because, um, the way it's structured is we had two weeks of normal, you know, math and English and just kind of normal academics. But then the, the, Two weeks after that, it would be nothing but um, vocational training. So there was all these different departments of, you know, automotive repair or culinary arts or cosmetology or electronics, basically kind of hands-on um, vocations that you could learn instead of normal academics. Um, and it is true, I think, that a lot of kids go there when – they are kind of just trying to escape normal academic work. But if you go there because you're actually interested in whatever you're doing or you become interested in it, like uh, just while you're there, it's a really amazing opportunity because they go out of their way to, I don't know, help you kind of succeed in school. So I didn't, in, in middle school, I was a pretty good student. My first year of high school, I did not do well because of the way the school was set up. And then after, when I went to this vocational school, I was like, uh, you know, getting very good grades and kind of the top of the school. They they uh, opened a lot of doors for me. So I, the summary would be that vocational schools are basically schools where uh, 
at least half of the time is spent kind of training you for a job instead of training you to go on to college and do other things like that. And it sounds like it worked for you because you went into graphic design. When, yeah. So in your studying of graphic design, when did you really zero in on fonts and typography as the thing you were going to really dig into? Uh, that's a good question. Well, even in high school when I was making these flyers and things and I got into like I think the gateway drug for a lot of people is going to free font websites. So I'd be making a flyer and say, like, I want to make this look cool and, like, I want it to have the kind of vibe that I'm looking for, but I'm not going to spend any money to to buy a font to do that. But there are all these free fonts that were available of questionable quality, but some of them did what I needed them to do. Um, and once you get into that, it's very easy to just like look at long lists of fonts for a very long time um and that's that's probably when it first clicked like oh i actually it'd be kind of cool to make some of these things so even in high school there were like some really cheap programs where you could like you know um draw out an alphabet and the software would turn your handwriting into a font so i was doing that like pretty early on um, so I was always kind of interested in it, but it wasn't until I think I was in college and I got into letterpress printing that, um, my interest in typography became kind of the thing that I knew I wanted to do as a career. I want to understand more about letterpress printing and exactly what that means. But uh, just first, I'm curious, do you remember the first font you designed, like the first few that you made? Do you remember those and what you were trying to do with them and how they came out? I'm sure... I imagine you might cringe looking back at them compared to like your your current work, but did you remember them at all? The first font I ever made was just based on my own handwriting. I think I like wrote out an alphabet with Sharpie or a few that's alphabets. That's a pretty classic like, move, right? Turning your handwriting yeah. into a font. I feel like yeah. that's like a pretty classic early internet move. Yeah. And it was relatively easy at the time because of the software. I'm sure like the spacing and like the alignment of everything was way off. Um, but I don't know. It was it there's something very um powerful about making a font and then opening up something like uh you know a page layout application and choosing your font from the font menu and like typing and having it actually work. It's like a very uh I don't know, it's a really cool experience the first time it ever happens. Um that that would say I I it's like even a stretch to call that, you know, something that I designed very consciously. Um, later on, I I did make fonts kind of in my own free time, and uh, I still have the files for a lot of those, and indeed they're not up to my current standard of quality, but um, they were the thing. I mean, you got to start somewhere, so. What, what, what are letterpress? Those are the blocks, right? Like, what is, what is it that you got into in college? Uh, so letterpress printing is the traditional means of printing um, where each letter is its own separate block and you arrange them in a line. Um, and it's very labor intensive compared to how um, design works these days, but it's almost kind of meditative because of that. Um, you have to slow down a lot and think about everything that you're doing uh, very carefully. Um, and because you know, typography is a, a large part of graphic design or printing. Um, that's, uh, you know, choosing and spacing the 
the type is a huge part of that. And it's also just kind of a very tactile, you know, one-to-one relationship with uh, manipulating type, basically. So what are some decisions you have to make when you're lining up these letters? Um, let's say you want to write, subscribe to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show, the greatest podcast in the world. You've got the letters, S-U-B-S-C-R-I-B-E, whatever. Um, like, what, what else do you have to do besides put the letters in the right order and, you know, press them down at the right time? Like, what are the other decisions you're making? Well, even before you get to that point, you have to figure out what typeface you want to set that text in. Uh, so that, that's like a whole other process. That... This is what I really need your help in because <laughs> I'm terrible at this process. I have no idea. I never know where to start with a font. So let's work on this for a sec. Let's say I did want to, sure. in fact, write this sentence, like subscribe to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. How would you begin picking what font to use? Um, I would say it's similar to – it's actually not – too different from just figuring out like what clothes you want to wear. It's like what kind of a personality do you want to convey with this text that you're putting out? Do you want it to be friendly? Do you want it to be informal or formal? Do you want it to be to seem rough and crude or do you want to seem very polished? And uh, basically, and I do a lot of this kind of thing when I'm doing typographic consulting is people say, you know, what font should I use for this company? And instead of giving them a straightforward answer, which is what everyone wants, I end up asking them a bunch of other questions of like, you know, if you're going to describe your company in five words, what would those words be? And then like kind of working backwards from the vibe that they're trying to get. So let's say for this project that we're now working on that I wanted something a little mischievous and, but fun and, uh, but serious. And, uh, you know, that, uh, kind of crazy and it was it, it, it knew how to be dangerous but also like serious and buttoned up and it comes out every two weeks most of the time you know <laughs> like what would you so what, what do you start thinking when i say something like that um you mean for, as in like specific typefaces that might no, fit the bill because i don't really need to do this so i don't actually need a specific recommendation i'm just curious like <laughs> Is your brain, are you like running through this Rolodex in your brain of like hundreds of typefaces and being like, no, no, no. Are you like, okay, mischievous. That's something a little longer than it is wide. I'm just curious like what your what your thought process is when you start doing uh, these things. A lot of times it's the things that are most present in my head at that moment. So it might just be like, you know, maybe one of my friends released a typeface that I like and like that maybe is in the front of my mind. I think, hmm, would that work for that? Or even if it, if I have a typeface that I've been working on kind of as a side project, like hmm, maybe I could adapt that to, to work for this situation. Um, I also, because this is such a complicated and um, I would, I think, interesting process, um, I actually... I thought you were going to say oh, sentence and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no. The, just the process of choosing fonts and, and you know deciding what fonts you want to use. Um, some friends of mine and I started a website called Fonts in Use. And it's basically a public collection of examples of fonts in use. Um, and it's all categorized by industry and um, just general topics um, and even formats. So you can you can kind of get a sense of what has been used or how a certain typeface might have been used in the past. Um, and sometimes that's a good way just to get like some, uh, very quick ideas of, you know, where you might want to start. You must have like an insane 
font folder on your computer? Is it in a like where do you where do you keep your fonts? Is it all in one folder, just like fonts on your desktop? <laughs> Actually, it's surprising. I don't have that many fonts installed on my computer. It's mostly the ones um, that I'm working on or have made myself, and then I have a few other folders of fonts. Um, that I've licensed for specific projects. So actually, it's like, and I also get a lot of fonts of people sending me kind of fonts they're working on and they want feedback on. So I have a folder that's just like, you know, temporary test fonts of, you know, I don't have a full license to use them, but. Um, so if a friend sends you a font and they're like, hey, just looking for notes, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to type a sentence? Like, what's a, what's a note you might give on a friend's font? Um, well, a lot of the things to look out for, I would say, are just kind of the, the quality of the drafting of, uh, the characters. Um, does that mean literally how they're drawn? What does the drafting mean? Um, so the way that fonts work, most fonts, I should say, digital fonts is the shapes of each letter and all the other glyphs that are in the font, like punctuation and, uh, whatever else they're stored in basically with mathematical information. The outlines of each letter are described um, in a way that you can scale them up or down um, infinitely without losing resolution. So it's, it's um, a, is it a vector? Am I using my words yes. right here? It's a ve- It's not an Correct. image. It's not like an image of an A. It's like the instructions for how to draw an A so that you can yes. do it any size. Yeah. And the technique that is most common for doing that is uh, – using what are called Bezier curves. And it's a vector, it's a, one uh, equation for defining a vector shape. And if you're really good at using Bezier curves, um, your, you know, the curves in, say, an uppercase S or something should be very smooth and not seem lumpy, and the weight distributions it's, should look even. Um, but it Manipulating Bezier curves isn't always the most um, intuitive thing in the world. So it takes a while to get used to doing that. And even people that have been doing it for years and years um, are always learning kind of new ways of thinking about it. So that is how we do fonts now when we have like fancy vector drawing programs like Illustrator or whatever. But how did they make fonts, you know, back in the day, like pre-computers? How how did – what were the first fonts made of? Uh, well, the first fonts, despite uh, the the popular understanding that you know uh, Gutenberg invented the printing press and movable type and all that, uh, four hundred before four hundred years before Gutenberg, uh, they were making and using movable type in Asia, um, but most of the Asian scripts, because they have so many different unique characters, um, it's not quite as practical of a system. So I think the first fonts ever were made out of clay or porcelain or something like that. Right. Um, but it wasn't – the stuff that Gutenberg was doing was with uh, a metal alloy that was m- largely lead. But did Gutenberg machines – like there were several Gutenberg – machines right like there's several printing presses do they uh-huh. all have the same fonts on them or did he have to like remake the letter a for each system well he, gutenberg um what should i say he invented a lot of things but he also what should i say 
developed a lot of things uh, beyond how they had already been developed. Or maybe he wasn't even aware of how they were developed before. Um, so the printing press is one thing, but making type is a whole separate thing. So if you ask me like what one of his developments were that were the most significant, it's not the thing that most people think of as a printing press, but actually he invented this hand mold for casting new metal type, which allowed him to basically um, change out what letter he was casting and then uh, cast as many of them as he wanted and then change what you call a matrix, which is kind of the, the mold for the face of the type. Um, so he could use like the same device to cast any number of different letters with um, different widths and different heights and things like that. And that's, it's harder to describe that. And most people, it's not as easy as saying, oh, the printing press. Most Everyone knows what a printing press is. But if you said a movable type hand mold, people would be like, what the hell is that? But the point is that there's just like other innovations within the printing press beyond the ones you usually think about. Yeah. And the printing press is kind of a separate thing. That's like, before you uh, can print type on a printing press, you have to have the actual type made and arranged and you know locked up in a, a solid form that can be inked and printed from. Um, what about in like the 1950s and the 60s? So now we're not in Gutenberg times anymore, but we still don't have computers. And there's like magazines, you know, like they're right. laying out Life magazine. Like where did those fonts come from? Like how, yeah, like how... Who, how did they store Helvetica or whatever they were using like before they had a computer? Right. So up until the 50s-ish and I'd say the second half of the 20th century, the, the general concept for how type worked, um, there were only a few innovations that came along since the time of Gutenberg, things that made it easier and faster to make type. But the general idea was the same, is you have – what you call a matrix, which I mentioned before, which is like the the mother for casting type. You use it with a mold, and in the end, you get you have like a raised surface that gets inked, and then the paper gets run over it, and that's how it worked for 400 years. But then at the turn of the 19th century, there were two machines that kind of revolutionized that, one being the linotype and the other being the monotype. And the the general concept of both of those is instead of casting a single letter at a time and then arranging them by hand, and then when you're done, you know, putting each letter back in its case, um, these machines allowed you to cast the type in the order that you need it and print from it. And then when you're done printing with it, you can just melt down the metal again and make new type with it. Um, so that's what was used for most magazines and newspapers and um, books, anything that had a large amount of text for uh, most of the 19th or the 20th century. But now, today, what are the tools you're using? And are, Yeah, what are the tools you're using? Uh, I have a, a large number of tools that I'm using. I mean, do you mean for, for making fonts or for yeah. using fonts? Well, or? I guess just for making fonts. I'm just curious, like, what are, what are the software? Are you using, like, a stylus? Um, I just use my mouse and the the application that I use the most for developing new fonts is called RoboFont. There are a few other uh, font development applications out there. Uh, Glyphs is another. Uh, font Lab is another. And then there are some other smaller ones that are 
I would say probably less usable, but the one I use is RoboFont. Um, but even within RoboFont, there are a bunch of smaller applications that are kind of built as extensions um, or even applications that I build myself. They're, they may not be like fully, you know, it might just be a few lines of code to do something that I need to do automatically, but it's still what I would consider an app application or a script. What's like some code you might need to build while you're developing a font? Um, so let's see. One example. Um, there's this. Well, actually, probably a better example is, say you have, you know, a basic uppercase and lowercase A to Z designed, but you then want to add accented characters. You could, in theory, go through every single one of those letters and add every accented mark by hand um, or there are ways that you can do it that are semi-automated where you basically say where you want the accents to land and then you can make a script that will kind of put all the accents in place you know something i think i we actually haven't really covered yet is like how do you the modern day font designer with all your fancy software like how do you make money? Who are you working for exactly? Is it like freelance? Like <laughs> That is a very good question. And actually, when I'm sitting on an airplane, that's often like the second or third question that comes around. First, well, it's I'm more like... polite than that. I usually wait a little bit. <laughs> well, it's less about like how do you make money and more like people are like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing that you could buy or you right, know, that's right, a right. thing that you could pay for. Um, so my personal experience is different and my market is different than a lot of other people but um, typically most type designers are selling to um, a few different subsets of people the first one is pretty obvious and that's just graphic designers you know people who are using fonts on a daily basis and that's how they make their living um, but then there's also people that are just you know kind of hobbyist uh, you know, maybe scrapbookers or things like that. But then, how do you how do you sell to them? It's like there's a font. I mean, I've seen these things, but I'm not super familiar with the marketplace. There's like a font website, you know, where you just like put up your font and you know, say, here's how much it costs, and people buy it from you. Is that is, is it that yeah. simple? Uh, <laughs> that's an oversimplification, but more or less. And that's actually my first job at a school was working uh, for a website like that. I worked for a company called My Fonts. Um, and this was, I, w I had been designing fonts, but my job with them wasn't making fonts. It was more doing design and, um, web work to help sell other people's fonts. But that, did that help you like learn how to sell your own fonts though? Like, um, because I bet those sites have just, I, I mean, I, I've searched, I've done this before. Like I've searched those sites, like looking for the right font and it, it's overwhelming. So how, what did you do? How do you try to make yours stand out and how do you, if not stand out, how do you make it? Um, something that someone who you know could use it can discover it right um well i'm maybe not the best person to ask that because i've only been kind of actively doing type design as a a public part of my career uh for not a whole lot of time a lot of my career before that was i was still working in the type industry but working to help promote other people's fonts and things like that or doing web design. Right. Um, but it's it, it's really hard to have any one thing that you know is going to work. A lot of times it's just pure luck, to be totally honest. Um, even, and it can even be tied to like 
someone using your font that it's like a very high high profile use of your font. So for example, um, there was this font that existed for a long time and was not popular at all, but then it got used in the Harry Potter books or something like that. And then all of a sudden the person who designed that probably saw a huge increase in their sales uh, just because, you know, everybody wants to use the Harry Potter font when they're making their Harry Potter themed birthday party or whatever else like that. So a lot of it's luck. I, I personally try to just do it based on kind of the things that I design. Um, I think after a while I've kind of developed enough of a audience online that people know the kinds of things that I like doing. Um, and I'm also not being like very aggressive in my own marketing, um, for better or worse, but it, yeah, if you ask different type designers, they'll get very different answers. Some of them are more aggressive and can sometimes feel tacky in their font marketing. Um, others are more restrained and maybe too much so. I, I'm probably fall in the latter category. So, for example, one uh, argument that's been going around for the past few years is this idea of offering um, kind of discounts on brand new fonts. And it's gotten to a kind of a ridiculous point where some people are now offering their fonts for like a 99% discount when they're first released. And it's, it has the feeling of like a, you know, a mattress seller who's marking it up to market down kind of thing. Um, but that's, you know, I'm sure they're making more money because they're doing that. It's just a matter of like, if that's the kind of market that you want to create and participate in, um, that probably doesn't really give you the answer you're looking for, but no, it helps me understand. But I, I think I cut you off. You were explaining, like, uh, just besides sell. Okay, so there's these marketplaces. That's one outlet to try to make money as a font designer. Yep. What are some of the other things right. you've you've done? Um, so probably on the other end, the other spectrum of the you know selling one font at a time to to scrapbookers. Uh, there's a very large amount of money to be made potentially from making fonts. Um, specifically for, you know, larger clients. Um, so if there's some, say there's some giant multinational corporation who is going through a rebrand and they want to have a new font that is their own font that they know only they can use and it will be a very distinct part of their brand identity, then they'll hire a typeface designer to make them a new font um, that's just theirs. And have you done more that? I have done some work like that and it, it isn't always, you know, gigantic multinational corporations. Um, so for example, I did a font not too long ago for, um, I don't know if you know the TWA terminal at JFK. Oh yeah. So at JFK, there is, uh, an old TWA terminal from like the fifties or sixties yeah. and it looks awesome, but it's abandoned. I think they're turning into a hotel or something. How much yeah. of that did I get right? I don't know why that, I didn't let you explain instead of like me like <laughs> guessing what was right. I should just let you explain what was actually right. How much of that did I get? Uh, that's pretty accurate. I, I, yeah, I would say the only thing I would change is that it's not it's no longer abandoned, and they definitely are doing the hotel thing. It's like well into the process. It's a very pro- cool looking building, and you see it right when you exit some of the terminals. Yep. I'm not sure which one. And I think yeah. actually the they're going to be opening up in May. I believe that's like the first days that you can 
uh, rent a room at that. So that main kind of head house that was originally the TWA terminal is now becoming kind of the lobby area um, for a new hotel. And there's going to be stores and things through that throughout that. But so they hired me to make a font for the hotel and all the re- things related to it that um, is based on lettering from old signage that used to be in the TWA terminal. Um, so it's kind of a way to for them to revive that style, but also use the fonts and kind of modern software and things like that. So what did you do? You studied all the old stuff? Like, did you look for things that they were doing back in the TWA days that you tried to update? Like, what, were, what, what did you notice when you went back and looked at those things? Uh, well, it's, this is actually probably a good way to describe how a lot of typeface design works. Um, that the company that came to me is actually a, a design company called Pentagram. They're also in New York. Um, so I was kind of a subcontractor for them to make the fonts and they were dealing with a lot of the other design things. Um, and they showed me a lot of the original material, like photographs of the old signage, um, even some old um, design mock-ups from the previous signage in the 60s. And uh, I noticed that this design that all these old signs was based on a typeface that was, it, it seemed like it was kind of adapted from a, a typeface that was much older from the turn of the 20th century, maybe even earlier than that. So then after looking at the the stuff from the 60s i went back and looked at all the stuff from the 1900s like the early 1900s even the 1800s just to get ideas of like things i could build into this typeface uh, to make it more usable in a contemporary context um did a few rounds of kind of design sketching um but with every iteration adding my own kind of take on that design so the design is very heavily based on something that itself is based on something that's much older. Um, and this is kind of how a lot of typeface design works because you can't, it's not like you can redesign what the letter A is and have everyone understand that that's a letter A. There's always like every typeface has some inspiration from previous typefaces just by definition. Um, so... I'm now forgetting even what the question was. I was just asking like how you did that work of like updating, uh, of designing that, of, you know, kind of working on that font. Do you, when you start to make a new font, do you start with A or is there a letter you start with? Um, Usually it's with the H, either uppercase or lowercase H. Why H? Pretty Uh, simple, I guess. You got some right angles. Yep. So actually it's usually H and O. Those are kind of the most common control characters or also N and O are similarly control characters. And that's because there's a lot of, um, I guess DNA for what the rest of the letters will look like just from, from those shapes. So with an H and an O you have kind of vertical stems, you have round parts. If you're, if you're working with a lowercase, you know how high the, the lowercase is in comparison to the uppercase um, and that's already like a, a good amount of DNA to start developing some of the other characters. Do you have a favorite letter? Like you get to the S and you're like, oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it varies a bit depending on the design of the typeface, but um, 
a lot of times I like the lowercase a and the lowercase g because there's a, a little more flexibility of kind of what you can do with those. Um, and they also tend to carry a lot of the character of the design. So especially A, which happens to be a, a pretty common letter. I think it's, you know, one of the top three letters in English as it's far one as of frequency. Those vowels, you know. Yep. Uh, so if you, you can have a typeface and just by changing the lowercase a, you very quickly change the overall impression that the typeface has on the page. Um and that it, there are even some fonts that um, include different versions of some of those letters that uh, will give the typeface a different kind of feeling depending on what you want to do. And then I guess other side of that coin, is there a letter that you like put off till the end because like, you know, Q or X or something <laughs> is like really is tricky in some way? Um, S is usually a pretty tricky character just because it's hard to get a feeling of a continuous curve that doesn't feel lumpy and also get like a continuous weight in the stroke that doesn't feel lumpy. Um, but I don't, it's kind of hard to put off the S too long because it's one of the most common characters. Um, after I get kind of a handful of, uh, control characters for that have kind of the basic DNA in the typeface, um, a lot of times I just start working backwards from which which letters are most common uh, because that means I can then, uh, you know, have sample words to, to type out and see what, what the font looks like. In addition to designing the letters, do you have to – do you define how much space goes between the letters? That must be a part of it, right? Yes, and that's actually one of the, I would say, most underappreciated parts of typeface design is – dealing with the, the negative space um, because you can have letters that are very well drawn and, you know, all the curves are smooth and everything like that. But if the spacing is off, it will give the typeface a, it will just make it look not very good. So there are all, I mean, there are schools of thought about how you should space your different typefaces and uh, the process for doing that. And um, the way I approach it, is that I try to get the spacing to be as solid as I possibly can before I go in and add what they call kerning. And kerning is basically exceptions to the default spacing of each block. Oh, so, er, that's what kerning is. Yeah. So it's kind of funny because this whole history of movable type in a physical form, you know, blocks of metal or wood or whatever, um, have been carried over into the realm of digital typography. So when people are designing a typeface, usually it's in a, an interface where you kind of see a bounding box around each letter and you have to kind of, you know, determine how much space is around it and where the letter is centered and things like that. Um, and then the way the computer lays it out is not dissimilar from how you might lay out a row of blocks. Um, Right. So if you imagine every letter has its kind of default spacing, but then there might be some letters that when you put them right next to each other, the space looks too big or too small, and you have to adjust that, and that's what kerning is. Are there any other underappreciated elements of font design that you know we're just not considering when we're talking to you on the airplane? One that I mentioned very briefly was this idea of having kind of alternate characters um, or just alternate features. That There's kind of like the way a, a font will work 
straight out of the box with its default spacing and all the default versions of each letter. But um, there's this whole other kind of aspect of typeface design um, where with a what's called open type. Open type is like a a way for people to build features in the fonts so that it says maybe like when this letter comes immediately after this letter and then is followed by this letter, you know, change out to a different version of that so that the spacing is better or something like that. And that's something that a lot of it happens automatically and a lot of it um, also is something you have to turn on, uh, you know, explicitly. And most people don't think about, you know, when they're setting their, uh, you know, they're writing a letter in Microsoft Word or something. They don't think like, oh, maybe I want to have like the swash version of this uppercase R or something like that. Um, so a lot of it, I, I wouldn't, maybe underappreciated isn't the best word. It's just kind of lesser known. Are there any current trends in fonts? Like what's happening right now in fonts? Like what are we doing too much of? What's like the, what are, what are we overusing? Like what what's going on in 2019 with fonts? 2019, that's a very good question. Um, a lot of times you can see this stuff happening just by walking around in the subway in New York. Um, are you just like constantly scanning? Like, I mean, are you, you just? I mean, you, you mentioned you have the website where you're just talking yeah. about like fonts being used. So, like every ad, every sign you see, it must be just like go through this like Terminator like scan in your brain where you're trying to match <laughs> it to a font, right? Yeah, it's like when I see, especially if it's something that looks kind of unusual or something I haven't seen before, it's like. Doo -doo 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 you know, trying to identify. Is it the possible typeface someone thing. just like wrote the word, like I don't know, just drew the words like regular old yep. handwriting style for like this sure. one ad? That's also possible. Not everything's That's, a font. It's very common, and actually, a lot of times people will ask me or my friends, like, "Oh, I saw this cool ad. It had this really cool lettering. Uh, what font is that?" And a lot of times, it's not a font at all. It's just someone did a hand lettering gotcha. job. Okay, so I'm sorry. Uh, I actually forgot what I asked you. You were explaining fonts in 2019 where you're going around right. the uh, the subway in New York and you're seeing things. I'm sorry, what were you saying? Um, there's a lot of not just uh, trends as far as the typefaces that people are using, but also you know colors and photography and everything else like that. Um, one that seems to be reaching a peak, or maybe it's even kind of gone over the peak now and is starting to decline a little bit, is uh, what I would describe as geometric sans serifs. So these are typefaces where the uppercase O is very, very close to being a perfect circle, and a lot of the round characters tend to be like very circular. And it has a kind of clean and almost mechanical feeling to it. Um, Can you think but of it's like also a movie not... poster, or like a prominent example where we might be able to see something like this. Um, there were a lot of tech companies that were using these kinds of typefaces. Um, and what did you call them again? I got round O's, but then I forgot what the <laughs> name was. It was like geometric sans serif. Geometric sans serif. I did yes. get the name. So yeah. okay, okay. So these are, uh, I see. So geometric, just in that they're perfect circles or perfect triangles or whatever. Like they're done yeah, properly. They're they're based. Uh, I mean, every typeface is geometric in some way. There's geometry involved, but these are based on kind of. Uh, what I would consider like primitive geometry of circles and uh, squares and triangles. Um, and 
like I know for a fact that there was this one typeface called LL Circular that was very popular, especially with uh, tech companies over the past five years or so. Um, and a lot of them were b- being deployed also with similar color palettes and similar kind of uh, photography. Um, and I think there are reasons for that, partly like, uh, you know, if someone sees it being used in one place, they're, they'll be more inclined to pick it up or it's like in the front of their head. So I think uh, this is the typeface Airbnb used maybe, I or say- maybe is still Great SEO because I just searched for it to try to get a sense of what you're looking for. Fontsinuse.com right here on the front page. <laughs> there we go. Um, so that's that was like a pretty common trend over the past five years, I think, of people using these geometric sans serifs. And even a lot of companies were doing rebrands and they would use a geometric sans serif to the point where it got – it almost became a joke if you you know made a list of before and after designs of things like Google – uh, so the current Google logo I would describe as a geometric sans serif. Um, Airbnb is another one. Uh, a lot of these bigger tech companies, especially ones that started in the 90s and had kind of weird, funky uh, logos um, that are being rebranded, and a lot of times they end up getting this kind of geometric sans serif because it's relatively safe Um and also part of the kind of current trend of design that people seem to be gravitating towards. Are there that's, any? Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? Please. That's starting. That seems to be falling off a little bit, I think. And I'm glad about that. Another trend that seems to be coming up is people looking back now more towards like the 1970s um, and picking these typefaces that are. Um, they seem kind of like squishy or soft. Um, one one very ho- high profile example recently was uh, Chobana Yogurt did a rebrand, and they're the typeface. They uh, I believe they commissioned a custom typeface for that, but it has a kind of like seventies feeling. Um, also, I know Mailchimp uh, is now using kind of a squishy version of a i think it's cooper black or something like that which often feels very 70s are there any font designers working today or they could be from history just like specific people who you know push the game forward in some interesting way whose work you admire definitely uh if you ask most typeface designers and i think especially in the united states um one of the names that is most likely to come up is a guy named W.A. Dwiggins. The Dwig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a, there was a book actually that came out recently about him that is very extensive and does a good job of showing all the things he did. Because he, he only got into typeface design much later in his life, I think in his 40s. Um, but he was also an illustrator. Um, he, also, he did just like layout and book design. Um, but then also uh, he made marionettes and uh, any number of other kind of industrial design kinds of things. So he's definitely a renaissance man. And his approach to typeface design was very original, I think. Um, And it it definitely had a big influence on uh, type design after him. Um, But he's uh, no longer with us. Someone who's living that is probably also very likely to get mentioned if you ask most contemporary type designers is a guy named Matthew Carter. 
Um, and he was kind of like a, a perfect storm of type designer stuff because his father was a typeface historian. Um, and he's well, what's a typeface in- historian? Hold on. What's a typeface historian? <laughs> uh, it's pretty much what it sounds like. Someone who knows about the history of typography and the fonts that were made and who made them and where they were used and things like that. If I sat next uh, to that guy on an airplane and asked him how he makes money, what would he tell me? <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably say he works at a school or he publishes books or something like that. Gotcha. Okay. Um, there, there are definitely typeface historians that are still not a, there aren't that many, but there are, they're definitely out there. Um, and a lot of times it's people who are also doing other things like teaching, or they might also be typeface designers themselves. Um, so I consider myself kind of like an armchair type historian, uh, because just by virtue of the fact that I'm making new typefaces, I like to understand the history of what I'm doing and how we got to this point. What has his son done? Like, what 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 is what did he bring to fonts that like uh, changed the game? Well, he's done a lot of very high profile typefaces. Like, he did Georgia and Verdana, which almost everyone can recognize. Oh, from that. yeah, these are these are some A list fonts we're talking yeah. about here. Yeah. So those are in Word or in Google Docs, or they're in one of they they're like uh, one of the... those are system fonts on both the Mac operating system and I uh, see. Win- so does that mean that Microsoft and Apple are both paying him or to license these fonts? Yeah. So I think probably he, I think they were originally commissioned by Microsoft. So if anyone is getting a royalty, it might be that Apple is paying Microsoft. I don't know what, you know, even if I did know, I probably wouldn't be allowed to tell you what that deal was. But yeah, he's, he certainly made, a good amount of money from those projects. And so when Microsoft licenses it, like I, the end user doesn't license it, right? Like Microsoft licenses it. But then I don't know, like if I go to a web page, like what font, like when the New York times.com loads, where does that font come from? Is it on my computer? Is it on their computer? Like, is it on the website? That is a very good question because it wasn't until, I mean, in the grand scheme of things relatively recently, that that could be anything other than the fonts that were already installed on your computer. Um, for, I would say, the majority of the history of the web, uh, the fonts that people saw were only the fonts that were installed on their computer. I think around 2007, 2009, somewhere thereabouts, um, there was uh, kind of this whole revolution in the world of using fonts on the web where you could then you know, put a font file on your server or have it being hosted on some other server and then use that in your design. And the person viewing the page didn't, doesn't need to have the font installed on their computer in order to see it uh, in their browser. And that that's kind of like, imagine the history of design where, you know, every design for many years could only use a small handful of fonts and then all of a sudden you can use any font that you want to use um as you might imagine it was kind of a big uh revolution in how people design their websites um and you know i don't want to destroy your font consulting business but i guess (laughs) is there something is there like something you can tell us that will 
help everyone you help us be better with fonts just like common font mistakes we are all making that uh you know is there some piece of advice you could give people to help us be better with fonts hmm. uh i guess it depends on if you're talking about how they appear or just generally how like they're being using used them. yeah how to, how to use them i think one thing that a lot of people don't recognize is that different fonts have different um, rules about how you're allowed to use them. So something that comes already installed on your computer, you're allowed to use it, you know, for whatever you want, pretty much. But um, if you see a font that's a, a classic example is like if you're working on a project within your company and uh, you try to open a document and it says this font, you don't have this font. Most people just write to the person who sent it sent them this document and say, hey, I don't have that font. Can you send me that font? And nine times out of ten, that's like not a legal thing to do. Most fonts come with licenses that restrict the number of users that can have the font installed on their computer and things like that. Luckily, most of the time when people are kind of going against whatever that license is for how a font is used, uh, they're doing it without knowing it. Most people, when, when they're aware that you know you have to have permission to use a font in a certain way um are pretty good in you know following those rules but i'd say one of the most common misuses of fonts is just emailing a font to your friend or your coworker uh because they don't have it and they want to use it and before we go i i, sh I just want to understand uh how is your handwriting horrible really yeah <laughs> there are some typeface designers who have really nice handwriting and are skilled in calligraphy. And we had to do, when I was kind of uh, learning more about the, the concepts behind typeface design, you have to learn about calligraphy and just generally how, you know, handwriting works. But uh, to get that kind of motor function, like muscle memory going, I uh, mine is not up to par. <laughs> so we'll have to stick with computers then. <laughs> that's how it's been going for the past few years so uh nick if people want to see the fonts you've designed some of the projects you've worked on maybe they need a type consultant how can they find you um the one place where most things that i'm related to is just my website which is nicksherman.com and then the company that i run where i'm developing new fonts and websites is called hex projects and that's hex.xyz hex.xyz and what's the other website we were talking about before that you ran with some friends fontsanduse.com right Fonts yes. and use. so Correct. I'll make sure all those are in the info uh, for the podcast so if you're listening and you want to check them out just pop over in the info however you do that and there'll be some links uh, Nick thank you so much for coming by tonight teaching me finally schooling me a little on fonts I finally <laughs> feel like I might understand something about them sure thanks for having me that was a HeadGum Podcast